morning. 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 Had I known that uh, senior leaders from the mothership would be here, <laughs> I probably would have called that sick. <laughs> Formally. Formally. <laughs> I'd like to begin by thanking my teacher, Gayon Roshi, for your sincere wisdom and guidance. We need to guide you to put your microphone up higher. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, nice. Can you hear me now? Testing, testing. Turned it on. Oh. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Well, I also like to, since today's talk is about generosity, I'd also like to thank all of you for coming today. And I'd like to thank my Dharma sisters. They're all here today. <laughs> uh, also, I'd like to thank all of the Dharma gifts, the generous Dharma gifts that brought me to the seat today in this temple in Houston, Texas on this Sunday. Okay, so uh, we're going to pass out, just take one and pass it down. These are called finger traps. You've probably seen them before. <laughs> Hopefully there's enough. I wasn't expecting so many people. Today. And those are to be played with later. So. You know, uh, as a therapist, well, you probably all know that um, most of us, what causes us to suffer is the things we cling to and the things we avoid. And as a therapist, my job is to help people uh, sit with those things, to sit with what they're running from, to face it, and to let go of what they cling to. So periodically, I'm going to actually stop and ask you to check in with what your body is doing. <laughs> what's happening in your body is what you're probably resisting. Okay, so I'm going to start with a story about a monk with a bowl. And historically and traditionally in India, Buddhist monks would carry around these um, begging bowls, alms bowls, and that's how they would get by for the day. They would take the lid off and set it out in front of them, and people in the community would um, offer food. And there was once upon a time, there was one monk that had this, was gifted this beautiful, ornate golden bowl by a queen who loved him dearly. Um, and everyone talked about how beautiful this bowl was. Um, and it wasn't long before a local thief got wind of this bowl and wanted to take it. <clears throat> now, this thief wasn't any ordinary thief. Uh, he was believed or suspected to have stolen some of the king's treasure, but no one could prove it. Um, so the thief followed the monk around for a few days, trying to plot the perfect time to get this bowl. Uh, and one night, as the, the monk uh, was laying down in an, the ruins of an ancient temple, he saw the thief lurking behind one of the columns. And he got up and brought the bowl over to the thief and said, please take this. This way you will not disturb me in my sleep. And the thief was overjoyed by his fortune, snatched the bowl out of his, uh, the monk's hands and ran away. Well, the thief came back a few days later with the bowl, and he said to the monk, here, oh, sorry. <laughs> I've stolen many things in the past, but I never felt any remorse. When you gave this bowl away so freely, I felt extremely poor. Please teach me how to acquire the riches that make this kind of lighthearted detachment possible. The thief then became the monk's pupil and attained Buddhahood. And although the monk is the thief's uh, teacher, the true teacher in this tale is generosity. Okay, now. 
We're going to first experiment. Wanted you to check in with your body and just think about a time when you were gifted something so beautiful. Think about how that feels. Probably something you want to cling to. Generosity is what is the first of what are known as the six paramitas. A paramita is a Sanskrit word um, which is commonly translated as perfection. Um, however, the word actually literally means going beyond, transcending, um, going to the other shore. It's kind of any one of those things. Um, but it also may be understood as going beyond duality, going beyond birth and death, beyond suffering, uh, and beyond enlightenment. Yeah, as a therapist, uh, I have a hard time with the word perfection because I see a lot of people uh, that struggle with perfectionism, myself included, because um, they're they have a hard time facing their own shame or their imperfections. And when I get nervous, my mouth dries out. So, <laughs> um, but this is not what I don't think what the parameter really means by the word perfection. Um, there's another definition for the word perfection, which is continually striving. And I think that's what this is trying to say with the paramita, is that we continually strive in our practice. Uh, religious studies scholar Dale Wright says that the paramita, paramitas, are ideals of human character and the basis of training for those seeking self-cultivation, enlightenment, and freedom from suffering. So, in the interest of time, we're not going to focus on all of the parameters, just the first one, which is generosity, which I figure is a really good one for this time of year. And if you want to know more, uh, Rev Anderson, the founder of our temple, has a really good book about the six parameters called Entering the Mind of Buddha. The Bodhisattva Bhumi, a Mahayana text about spiritual progression, defines generosity as an unattached and spontaneous mind and the dispensing of gifts and requisites in that state of mind. The essence of generosity is giving without any attachment or expectation. Without thought of receiving something in return, it is doing something purely for its own sake, wholeheartedly, with no strings attached. In his book, The Six Perfections, Geshe Sonam Rinchen says, simply overcoming selfishness is not enough. Generosity is not measured by how much poverty one has alleviated, but rather by how complete one's willingness is to give. In other words, it's not what you give away, it's how you give it away. So in order to know what generosity is and how to cultivate it and nurture it, I think it's important to understand what generosity is not, because that's what gets in the way of us being generous. Any ideas what generosity is not? Quick pro quo. <laughs> it's selfishness. Or miserliness, stinginess, greed. You hear greed a lot in Buddhist literature. Uh, so any ideas what causes greed? Want, attachment, yes. Attachment to our bodies and our lives. If we believe that we are somehow lacking or less without certain things, without money, without power, without privilege, youth, possessions, if we believe that we are lacking or less than without these things, then we will deny others what we cling to. In the Moonlight Sutra, the Buddha proclaims, when leaving beings cling to their ever-decaying body and life, transient and beyond their control, they perform extremely unwholesome acts. So uh, when I became a bodhisattva, when I received the, the precepts, um, I not only vowed to save all beings from suffering, I vowed to save all beings from me. 
because it's the things that I cling to, my personal attachments, what I believe, who I am, what I believe, what I have, um, what I stand for, what I think I deserve, or what I think others deserve or don't deserve. It's those beliefs, those things I cling to that cause me to perform unwholesome acts. For example, if there's a rushed driver on the road, swerving in and out of traffic, tailgating, cutting people off, I have been known to speed up and not let them in <laughs> or slow down if they're tailgating me. But those, uh, these behaviors are dangerous. They can put myself and others at risk. Um, and it's my attachments or my beliefs about driving, about people on the road, about what I think I deserve as a driver. It's my beliefs about those things that make me do these things. Mm -hmm. I've also been known to deny uh, a homeless, or we now call them unhoused person, uh, my spare change. Even worse, I will actually often totally ignore them, or I'll shake my head no, not even look at them. Um, and the way I treat them borders on disrespectful and even harmful. And it's my attachments to my beliefs about homeless people, people who work hard, my money. Um, that's what causes them to behave in this way. However, if I, I understand that my attachments are what cause more harm than good, then I can learn to let go of them in order to cultivate generosity <clears throat> and give wholeheartedly. So there are three types of generosity within the pyramid of generosity, three types of giving, I should say. First is the gift of material things. Second is the gift of protection. And third is the gift of the Dharma. When we think about um, generosity, we often think about material things, gifting things that we own, tangible resources, such as money, possessions. However, we can also gift away things we do not own, like flowers from a field, um, time, energy, uh, or status. Remember earlier when we recalled how good it felt to receive a, a gift from someone we love? Now, I'd like to another experiment here. I'd like you to really feel your body in this one. Imagine letting a coworker take credit for something you worked really hard on. And if you can't think of a coworker, I'm sure many of us have done group experiments or group uh, projects where there's always one person that wasn't doing their, their job. Imagine letting that person take all the credit for your work. Notice how that feels. There's probably some resentment there. But now let's, let's uh, turn up the heat a little. We'll add some Thai spice level three. <laughs> <laughs> now imagine this person is someone that always takes credit for others' work. And just notice how that lands with you. How does it feel? Does the idea of giving this coworker even more credit come as easy and natural? Is it wholehearted? More than likely, there's even more resistance here, perhaps some annoyance or both. And maybe just think about what you're attached to here. Okay, let's turn up the heat even more. Thai spice level four. Now think about your mortal enemy. Could be anyone who's done you wrong, perhaps someone who has swindled you or taken advantage of you, or even an agency, government agency or some public agency. Think about giving them your most valued possession. When I did this experiment in the class I've been teaching, I had a lot of uh, nasty faces. <laughs> People were not happy about that thought. I would notice your reaction. What's here? Disdain, repulsion. Just sit with it for a minute and notice what you're attached to. 
because that's what prevents us from giving wholeheartedly. The second type of, uh, type of giving is the gift of protection. It's also <laughs> known as the generosity of fearlessness. Uh, I can't, I'm going to get his name wrong. Trelig Kaibagan Rinpoche says the gift of protection means that if others are in danger, we do not hesitate to help them. We do not hold back. If a person is caught in a burning house, we must act to save them. If a child next door is being abused, we don't act like they're, we, that they're not ours and we do nothing. We do everything we can to protect that child. The point, at least for bodhisattvas, is that we should do whatever it takes in any given moment to save a life. And this not only applies to human life, it applies to all sentient beings. Now, there is a caveat here. Although sacrificing one's own life for another was a very generous gift, it is recommended that one be very far along the way of practice before doing so. Trelig says, it should come as easy as giving away a piece of candy. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard enough time sharing a bite of my dessert with anybody. <laughs> so I won't be uh, sacrificing my life for quite some time. But there are many other ways to protect without giving up life and life. But what do you imagine gets, away, gets in the way of protecting someone? It's fear. That's why this is also known as the gift or generosity of fearlessness. Fearlessness is required in order to protect. But what are we so afraid of? Okay, another thought experiment. And uh, vegetarians and vegans can probably sift this one out. If all sentient beings are to be protected, I'd like you to imagine giving up meat. Just notice your reaction to this. Do you notice any fear? Might have to dive a little. I know for me, I, I fear losing these big muscles because I worked so hard for it. I, I fear, I believe that I can't have them without meat. And I fear losing my reputation as a big guy. I fear losing all my energy and strength. Now let's turn up the spice level again. Can I spice five? <laughs> the most spicy. Uh, there was this, um, this show on ABC called uh, What Would You Do? I don't know if you've seen that, where they would take these actors and put them in uncompromising positions in the public. Like they'd act out some kind of dysfunction and see what the public would do. And I remember there was this one uh, where they had a Muslim woman, I, I don't know if she was an actor or a real Muslim, uh, go into a store to order something. And they had another actor in the store harassing her to see what the public would do. So I want you to imagine this scenario. If you were sitting down in the store, what would it take for you to give protection to stand up and protect this woman? I know for me that there's a lot of fear there, standing up in front of everybody and protecting this one person that may that most everyone around me may not like either. So just notice what you feel when you hear this. But what if we what if it was someone that you despised? What if it was someone in the community that's known to be a bad person, a felon, maybe a murderer or suspected murderer or a child abuser? How hard would it be to stand up and protect this person? What are you attached to here that's preventing you from doing this? The final type of giving is the gift of the Dharma. Reb Anderson writes, <coughs> when Buddhists sit, when Buddhists talk, when Buddhists walk, when Buddhists eat rice and drink tea, all of this is a gift of the Dharma. 
Bodhisattvas aspire to offer all their actions of body, speech, and mind as Dharma gifts. We have received the gift of the Dharma, and now we have an opportunity to give it to others. This makes me think of all the ways that we give the gift of the Dharma to each other here at the temple. Just earlier before this, we did soji, temple cleaning, where we all uh, prevented this space from disrepair and decay by our actions. We did this for each other so that we could always have a space to practice the Dharma. And outside this temple, our devotion to this practice shows in everything else we do. Uh, I'm sure you know, science shows that those who have long-term mindfulness practice are more calm, less depressed, less anxious, usually physically healthier, and have sounder sleep and more focused attention. When we are happier and healthier, those things benefit others. They are gifts of the Dharma. According to the Lotus Sutra, Sincerely requesting the teachings is also a great gift of the Dharma. In many Mahayana scriptures, when teachings are conveyed, they often begin with bodhisattvas giving the gift of a question. When, when bodhisattvas ask questions, they don't ask for the purpose of getting something. They want their questions to be really helpful. They ask their questions for the benefit and happiness of all beings. And this is why we have a question and answer period after every Dharma talk. So I expect your questions after this <laughs> to be for the benefit of all beings, and there's no pressure. <laughs> and so I'd like to add my own personal spin to this idea of questions as gifts of the Dharma. Uh, many of us understand that one word, uh, one meaning of the word Dharma is scripture or the word of Buddha and its followers. Um, what you may not know is it also means reality. Um, and it's things as they truly are. Uh, without our subjective lens or interpretation. This means that everyone and everything we encounter is a Dharma gift, or what we call a Dharma gate, an opportunity to learn and grow. So basically, embedded within every encounter is a question. And that question is, what can we learn from this? For example, what can I learn from my annoyance when my conservative aunt broadcasts her opinions about liberals and progressive policies? What can I learn from my impatience when the person in front of me, whom I've been waiting in line with for 10 minutes, finally gets up to the counter and doesn't know what they want? <laughs> what can I learn from my schadenfreude when a person I despise encounters misfortune? All of these moments are generous dharma gifts if we choose to accept them. So here's our last thought experiment. Think about a recent event that left you with a negative or unpleasant feeling. Notice how that feels. And then now ask yourself, what can I learn from this? So all the feelings we've been experiencing as we do these experiments, fear, resentment, they taint how we give. And there's a consequence of left unattended to. So remember my example of being rude to an unhoused person? I do it because I don't want to give up the things I'm attached to, like my money or my beliefs about people who work hard. The thing about my money and my beliefs is they cannot accompany me after my death. However, my actions will continue long after I die. Because the way I treat them will give them an impression about me and about people like me that may cause them to respond in kind. Not just to me, but to others like me. And then that cycle starts. And it never ends. 
Now, if you're a perfectionist like me, you may, you may have been sitting here criticizing yourself about your attachments and your inability to let go and be wholeheartedly generous. If you are, I really want you to hear this part. The practice of generosity starts with yourself. By this, I mean being generous towards yourself, your, your selfishness, your self-criticism, your doubt, your shame, and your judgment. Reb Anderson says, when we begin practicing generosity, we, we may have some difficulty with this practice. But as we persevere, we develop the capacity to be gracious with our own difficulties. Eventually, we will even give up the idea that we are the giver. In reality, our life and material resources are given to us and given away all the time. But when we imagine that we own them, we might not notice this unceasing cycle of generosity. When we notice that we are being selfish, the practice of generosity begins with welcoming our selfishness. Then, instead of focusing on things as possessions, we can see that they are gifts that have been given to us. Once we understand that they are given to us, we are more able to give them away. What Reb is referring to here is the understanding that the giver, the gift, and the receiver are not independent of each other. They're all one and the same. And I'd like to illustrate this with a story. Uh, Mother's Day 20 years ago, I had just finished a gig in Columbus, Ohio, and I'd been to Ohio a few times to do some gigs. And I knew a few people, but they're all mostly acquaintances. Um, and I had the day off uh, before heading back home. And I called my mother to wish her happy Mother's Day. And she informed me that she'd be ending treatment. And she had been struggling with cancer for a while and was tired and ready to go. Um, so you can imagine how that news hit me. Oh, oh I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, shortly after that, uh, one of my acquaintances called to see how my job, my gig went the day before. And he could tell that something was wrong. And so he asked and I told him. And he said, you should not be alone. And he dropped whatever he was doing and came to hang out with me. Took me to lunch, stayed with me until, uh, and then took me to the airport later. Unfortunately, we lost touch not long after that, but I've never forgotten that gift. Fast forward a decade later, uh, my first day of orientation at the VA hospital, it was my first time at the VA was in Las Vegas. Um, there were other people in different departments having their first day of orientation. And one of the women I met um, had left uh, a very strong support system in Michigan to move out to Las Vegas to take the job there. And, you know, we became pretty friendly during orientation and we remained friends. We weren't in the same department, but, you know, when we saw each other in the hall, we'd say hello. But it wasn't long after that that her sister passed away on Thanksgiving Day. And she had used up all her leave because we were brand new, we didn't have hardly any. Um, and she had to come back shortly after that. And she was going to be all alone at Christmas. And I told her, you should not be alone. You need to come be with me. So I could have easily remained attached to my ideas about the holidays and they're just for family and, or for people very close to me. Uh, however, I remember the beautiful gift of time and presence that was once gifted to me when I was, and that made it easy to let go and give. Ooh. In summary, selfishness is the opposite of generosity and the result of our attachments. Selfishness, is, as the word implies, isolates and puts up walls between us. 
The practice of generosity requires letting go of our attachments, which includes letting go of negative beliefs about ourselves. Once we let go, we are free to wholeheartedly give our possessions, our protection, and the Dharma. And this will break down the walls that separate us. Now, I know you've been waiting. <laughs> Has anyone ever done these before? They're called finger traps. You put your fingers in. And notice what happens if you try to get them out. So, <laughs> right? So, there's a couple ways you can look at this. The finger trap represents, uh, represents the things that you're resisting, things that you cling to or avoid. Uh, your fingers can also represent one, one finger is you, one finger is another person. So, right, when there are, when there's something between us that we don't want to uh, face. We resist it and we pull away. And what happens? It gets worse. Step. Right? But what happens when we face it? When they come together, when you put your fingers together, you are free to let go. 